Now don't get hysterical. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, my dear friend. How is your year going? How is your 2021 getting off to a start? Mine has been a little bumpy. Now, I knew this coming in because I had my big launch for my Elegant Excellence Mastermind, and I know that's how I kick off my year. So I know that I start with kind of a lot right out of the gate, and then I give myself a little bit of a rest and break in February. But on top of that, the attempted coup at our nation's capital here in the U.S. and the very heartfelt conversations we've been having in my Instagram stories about racism since that, and then my husband and I both getting horrible stomach virus, food poisoning, who knows what. It has been a doozy, I will tell you. But however your year is getting off to a start here, I think that we all tend to be in this mindset, even if we are not those who create big resolutions for ourselves and big goals and things that we're going to change in the new year. That's not particularly how I operate, but it still is the time when we feel this freshness and this newness and this hope And we nonetheless do still have intentions and desires for how we want this year to be different, what we want to leave in the past. And I wanted to share today a technique that is really helping me with that and thank one of our followers for giving me an extra insight in a conversation that we are having in my Instagram DMs about it. So I have talked a lot about asking more questions. This has been a posture I've really been in for the last year, realizing that So often we get stuck on, I don't know the answer. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do about this. And we would love to have that solution. And so in the meantime, it feels frustrating and we feel incompetent. We feel overwhelmed that we can't get there. And I've said, I I have noticed for myself and I've been encouraging us, when you just keep asking the question, it keeps it top of mind. And you start looking for more answers, more possibilities, considering it from more angles. So I think it's okay when you can't answer something yet. You just keep asking. And a follower over on Instagram said, it kind of reminds me of noting a practice that I learned in the Headspace app. Headspace is an app that helps you with meditation. It's the first app I personally used for meditation. This is not an ad. I used it years ago. I haven't used it in a while, but I did really enjoy it. And I, so I knew what she was talking about. The idea of noting in their uh, uh, presentation of it is noticing a feeling or a thought as it passes by your mind and not chasing it. Let it float by. I remember him talking about letting those things go by as though you were just watching the clouds. And so the intention within meditation is allowing yourself to be in the present or working just 10 minutes at at a time at being in the present and being okay not chasing every one of those questions or thoughts or feelings, being okay not going down the rabbit trail, not answering it, not really addressing it. And so the intention, as I, in my very one-on-one understanding of meditation, gather is that we are trying to make our mind less like one of those arcade games, you know, where you have the two bumpers and you're trying to get the ball. It's just bouncing everywhere up and down and there's all the flashing lights. 
And we're trying to just calm it where I picture I'm lying in a hammock and I'm just staring up at the sky and I'm letting my thoughts pass by. And that for me, I can feel the energetic difference of like, okay, headspace people, I get the difference. Sometimes my inner life can feel like it is that ping pong arcade game and that is exhausting. And if it could feel like the spacious, slowly floating clouds, I can understand how I would be a more calm and patient person. And I have also been doing more of that technique, which I didn't realize until this gal commented on it and I started pondering recently and I realized, you know, I have been doing this noting technique more where I notice it and I release it in that I've been challenging myself, if I don't need to worry about something until March, don't worry about it now. If I don't need to worry about something until 2024, don't worry about it now. Say to myself, yeah, I'll need to figure that out eventually. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about that next work project. I do have a question that I can't quite answer, but that's not coming up until quarter two. So guess I'll get back to it then. Guess I'll figure it out then. Um, I don't know. Need to know exactly how Jeremy and I are going to do X, Y, Z thing about where we're going to live or how we're going to have a family or whatever when it's like three years away. (laughs) But we do that so often, right? We try to figure out right now how... Am I going to be a working mom? I want these two things and it feels like they're in conflict and I'm not sure. How am I going to handle when my my I get such a big following that I feel I have challenges with my privacy and I'm getting a lot of negative comments? Meanwhile, right now, you don't have a baby, so you're not actually trying to figure out being a working mom. You're not even pregnant. You're not even trying to get pregnant. Literally, in the case of some of my girlfriends, you are single and you are trying to figure out how you're going to be a working mom. It is five years down the road. Or my entrepreneurs, they are so worried about what's going to happen in year two and five that they aren't taking action in what they need to do in month two or week five. So for me, I realize it's not just in that time of meditation where we can say to ourselves, okay, I'm picturing the sky, I'm letting the, the thoughts fly by, float by, but we can notice throughout our days, when do I have a thought that is way in the future that is not something that today on Wednesday is something for me to work on? It might even be something for me to come back to over the weekend if it's, you know, a little bit down the road. But right now, when I'm in the midst of this deadline or right now, when I'm being present with my child, I don't need to be figuring out that work thing that's going to come up next week. So noticing it in those moments and releasing. And I think that that's what the noting practice comes back to in that headspace idea. You notice it, you note it, and you let it go. You release it. But then I also have noticed that what is really powerful for me is having a few of these key things that you want at the forefront of your mind. It's almost like we've got so many different ideas that we're going to let go, but a few of them are our top priorities. And we want to, we don't want to let those thoughts just keep flying by because they actually are a repeating recurring pattern that is something we want to change. So my, my earliest recollection of this is four or five summers ago when I was on my sabbatical, I was living by myself for a month in Nice, France, and I remember having it hit me When I go to my computer 
I expect bad news. When I open my email, I expect something bad is going to happen. When I get a notification from my team, I expect that it's going to be bad news. Entrepreneurship had been hard for so many years that I was constantly worried there's going to be a customer service issue. There's going to be a tech issue. Someone on my team is telling me that they're quitting. Someone is upset about something. Someone, you know, just there's going to be some negativity. And so I started to challenge myself when I sat down on my computer to smile, physically smile, and say, this is going to be great news, or everything is going to be really good, or no matter what happens, it's honestly going to be fine. I just started self-coaching myself because I did notice. I didn't continue to allow the thought to float away like a cloud and say, you got this anxiety brewing and we're never going to do anything about it. I started to notice this thought ping-pongs around in my head a lot. Maybe this is one that I want to start to address. I've shared here before that I realized in the last year, I feel like this is really embarrassing. If you are an entrepreneur, I think you may uh, understand or maybe we all have something like this, but I am so often writing an Instagram caption or a DM reply in my head. When I have a quiet moment, I am, I'm writing, I'm creating, and that's a great thing to write and create. If I was writing chapters of my style book, if I was writing some great new content. Now, granted, I am doing that when I'm, I'm teaching something on Instagram, but I think there's something deeper in there because I'm not thinking about my emails. I'm not thinking about my podcast. I'm not thinking about my paid content. I'm not thinking about my book. I think it's because there's that addiction that we all know is present with social media there is something in there that isn't purely, oh, well, I'm just a creative and a teacher, so I see the lesson in everything. Yes, that's part of it, but why do we just do it on Instagram? Okay, I think it's because there is a little bit of an addiction there. So you've heard me share in a couple different episodes now things that I've done to take breaks, to rethink, to, you know, we did one episode on uh, following less people on Instagram, really using Instagram with intention as a consumer. Then we did one on what I learned from an Instagram detox. So you've seen that repeating and it came because I started to notice what am I thinking about when I go to sleep at night? What am I thinking about when I'm standing in line. Not that I really stand in line anymore, but it's a, it's a phrase we tend to say. So my newest thing that I've realized is that when I open the news, so I've shared on Instagram stories a lot. I'm really passionate about more of us committing to finding centrist news sources. If you go to allsidesmedia.com, they have a media chart. You can read their about page for what their funding is and why it is so imperative to their whole business model that they stay impartial. I digress, but this is why I say Intentionally, the AP News is what I have chosen to consume my news on now to take it from a more centrist and a less extreme source than a Fox or a CNN that are really dramatized entertainment. So nonetheless, though, it still is around us in culture, right? The dramatization of the news. We have this 24-hour news cycle, thanks to Ted Turner, um, who I'm pretty sure was married to Jane Fonda, and I really love Jane Fonda. My mom did the Jane Fonda workout videos when I was young, and I was really into those. Like, Jane Fonda was so cool. And then she was in uh, The Newsroom, which is a TV show I highly recommend. And then she was also in Grace and Frankie, another TV show that I highly recommend. And both of those are Aaron uh, – well, no, sorry. The first one is an Aaron Sorkin show, any Aaron Sorkin show I adore. So I love Jane Fonda. 
but I'm pretty sure she was married to Ted Turner. And Ted Turner was kind of the worst because he created this 24-hour news cycle. And friends, there's just not breaking news 24 hours a day. When we were going through the election in November, I was joking on Instagram stories that like Wolf Blitzer of CNN, I was in like an emotionally abusive relationship with him because he would tell me every five seconds that there was a breaking news alert and then he would tell me absolutely nothing. Like the guy that keeps saying he's going to call later and then he never calls. He keeps saying he's going to propose, but then he just won't commit. Like I was like, how do I keep falling for it? And it's because there isn't even in an election, there was not breaking news. You could have checked in one time a day and been just fine. But it's a business model. So they have to create it where there is enough entertainment, there is enough anxiety, because entertainment sounds fun. There is enough anxiety. There is enough fear of missing out. There is enough constant feeling that at any moment, something else could be revealed. We're going to learn something else big about the you know attack on the Capitol. And I just noticed... When I go to check the news, and I just, I'm sure I've done this for so long, but this process of noting, I I realize that I start to become more aware of my thoughts. And one of the reasons I'm passionate about sharing this is because uh, I I don't do meditation. I don't mean like I'm against it. I just mean I fail at it, I guess. I don't know. I've never really committed to it. I've tried. I go back. I go forward. So... I go, I go back, I go forward. What I mean is like, I kind of do it for a little while and then I fall off. So I have never had a consistent meditation practice. And I feel like so often people in my position are like, let me tell you about my perfect morning routine. And I just, I do 20 minutes of transcendent, transcendental meditation three times a day. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. And I listen to those people and I'm like, my life would be better if only I could be her. One day I will be her. Well, friend, I will tell you, I'm not good at the meditation thing. But what I'm realizing is that I have gotten my place, myself, to a more mindful place. And and it's through these conversations. It's through these things of saying, you know what? That repeating thought that is about the future, I'm going to let that go. That repeating thought that's about the present, I'm going to notice that. This is a habit. And I want to change this about myself. And I think so many of us have those things and it feels like, We read an entire book about how to change our habits and the cue, trigger, reward. And again, I've read the books on habit. They, I'll be honest, they just haven't really stuck with me. I think I've read a couple at this point and I I cannot authentically tell you, oh, I really do this throughout my day. This is the thing that I can tell you I do throughout my day and it just started small and simple by noticing the repeating thoughts and either releasing them or continuing to note them, to to keep asking the question, why do I expect that there's going to be some big breaking news thing? And I just have to ask that of myself in a lot of different ways. Why am I thinking this? Okay, well, it's probably because of the 24-hour news cycle and a lot of what I've been brought in culture. Okay, but also why? Like, what would it do for me as a person to go, babe, so-and-so celebrity just died. So-and-so, I don't know, whatever thing there would be in the news. And I realized I don't even know what I'm looking for. It's not like I I wouldn't say I'm a person who goes around looking for drama. And that's very interesting also to note. I'm not 
texting with my friends thinking, okay, one of them is going to go through a big breakup or they're going to tell me that they're pregnant. Like there's going to be big news. I'm just like chatting with my friends like, hey, how are you? When I talk to my parents, I'm not like, okay, guys, did anything big happen? I'm not going around my life looking for drama, creating drama, craving drama. So specifically in this area of news, I have somehow been wired to expect that something big is going to happen, I think good or bad. But then I have to further ask myself, how would that make me feel? Why does my body crave that? And I still don't have the answer for that, but we continue to ask the question. Another one that I referenced at some point on the uh, podcast is I started to notice in the last year how often I have a thought about another woman's body. And I went, whoa, that is more often than I realized. That I just, I think about what her butt looks like in those yoga pants. Or I I just, and I am uh, 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 someone who explores what makes women feel beautiful. I feel very peaceful and confident in my body. I am not perfect by any means, but I am aware that based on all of the work that I have done and all of the thousands of women I've gotten to work with, I know I have healed my relationship with my body, unfortunately, much more so than the average woman that I encounter. So I share this thing that sounds really bad, that I'm like judging everybody's bodies out there. But I share it because I'm like, I know I've actually done a lot of work on this. And so if I am noticing it this much, and I hear from so many women that have such deep insecurity and self-loathing and body hatred and body shame and all of that, I would imagine there's a lot of women for whom this is even more often. And I think those things that the expecting something big from the news and then noticing other women's bodies, I realize both of those are huge cultural narratives. We get so much from media giving us this FOMO, giving us this, the the more inflammatory things, get more likes and comments. So we see them more in our newsfeed. Like we could go on and on about how that 24-hour news cycle and the monetization of news has set that up really in the last, apparently there was Now I'm going to talk about things that I don't remember, so forgive me here. But I believe it was like 1987, 1982, there was something that was passed that there used to be laws that didn't allow us to be so inflammatory on the news. And I believe that Presidents Reagan and Bush, Reagan removed it and then Bush voted not to reinstate it. I'm not sure which Bush, I think the first one. Anyways, you can look that up if you're interested. But that says like, all right, I think this changed around the 80s. So we've got like, well, like in the last 30 years, so a huge chunk of time, even if you're listening to this in your 60s, this has been the majority of your adult life. So that's a major narrative that we talk about a lot. How much are we being affected by our news? And it is affecting our division as a country. It is affecting our, our feelings on racism. It is uh, you know, it, it's it's a huge thing. And then simultaneously, we know that the stories that we're told as women about be younger, be thinner, be, this is the ideal style of be- beauty, and these are the beauty standards, and you should want to weigh less, and you should buy these products so you have less wrinkles, and like all, all the things, that is so prevalent that even as someone who has been exploring it for the last decade, I feel like I will spend the rest of my life trying to untangle it. And so I feel, I think, a sense of empowerment maybe as I start to notice these things. Like, you know in the Truman Show 
when Jim Carrey is actually in the TV show and then he starts to realize that he's in a TV show. Like you have these little thoughts of like, oh wait, maybe this is how they're getting me. Maybe this doesn't really make sense. You know, I didn't really notice that so much and I don't have the answers for how we heal our country and our media consumption and all the things and I don't have the answers for how we dismantle the patriarchy and completely rewire our visions of body and beauty. And I am working on both of those things. We are talking about one on stories. I'm writing my style book on the other. So I am doing my best, but I don't have the answers. And I think that that can feel so overwhelming that to me, I realized actually I'm making progress though. And it doesn't have to be because I have a perfect meditation practice and it doesn't have to be because I read all the books on habits and I took all the notes. It can simply be that more and more, my hope is when we revisit themes here on the podcast and as you are listening to the podcast week after week or you are hearing it from a friend and you're binging a bunch of episodes back to back, instead of my saying something one time and you're like, okay, at the end of the year, she gave me 52 completely disparate topics to try to learn from. My teaching ethos is more so let's keep revisiting these things. Let's keep building upon them. Let's keep peeling the onion of the things that really matter in life. And so for me, I am feeling encouraged heading into this year with this concept of noting and saying, when we get to sit in meditation, when we, and that for me is sometimes just saying, I'm going to sit at this table, looking out at the ocean, drinking this cocktail, while my husband takes five minutes to go to the bathroom and I will not look at my phone. (laughs) Like sometimes that is my version of meditation is saying, We're just going to be present and let all the thoughts go. In meditation, we want to note those things and just poof, let them all go. We're just being present. Then throughout the day, we want to let most of them go for now. We want to note how many of them are in the future and release. If this is not what I should be spending my energy on today or this month or even this year, then I'm going to go ahead and release that but also noticing a few key things to help unravel the patterns and the behaviors that you want to change. And I have shared this since the very beginning of the podcast. If you go all the way back to our second episode, which was on anxiety, what I really was sharing in my journey to feeling I had so greatly healed my anxiety, not solved or completely ameliorated, but definitely healed, My answer was that it came from a series of small, tiny shifts, all of my change, how I felt about my body, getting to more peace in my business, having more peace in my friendships. So many different things have come from just the series of small, tiny shifts. And I think this concept of noting, whether it is releasing or continuing to return again and again to the things that we choose matter most, is simply how we start. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is sleeping in a silk nightgown. So this is something that I've done for a long time. I initially would find them at uh, like thrift shops, resale shops, vintage shops. $10 sometimes maybe. Not having to be fancy, not having to be real silk. They could be you know, from the 50s, what have you, a really fun thing sometimes to go into a vintage shop and purchase because maybe the vintage style isn't really your thing, but a nice black silk 
uh, you know, camisole, negligee, to sleep in as a nightgown, everyone can make that work. And to me, I my little encouragement for the day is to consider in this new year, up-leveling your pajamas. I have said for a long time, as your personal stylist, we should ideally never be sleeping in something that we would be mortified if someone came to the door or we had to evacuate our home for some reason in the middle of the night. So if we are embarrassed to be seen, if we feel apologetic, if our neighbor comes over to bring us something, if we feel the need to apologize for our beha- our, uh, our behavior, but uh, sort of, we have to apologize for saying, I chose to wear this and now that you are seeing me, I am feeling embarrassed. So therefore, I'm going to apologize. Oh, sorry, I look such a mess. Oh, sorry, I just threw on this old thing. I have always felt like, the practice of what we wear lounging around the house and what we wear to sleep is about proving to ourselves, I am feeling beautiful for myself. Now, obviously, I want you to feel however you want to feel. And, uh, you know, if glamorous is not a word for you, then that's fine. But I think the idea of sleeping in a silk nightgown is this area of glamour that says, I am feeling beautiful just for myself. And I think there are plenty of women who are, you know, wearing very old t-shirts in bed and just ignoring this possibility to say, this truly is the time that I am only dressing for myself. Maybe for your partner if you're in a relationship, but I was doing this when I was single, when it was just me, living by myself, nobody else is home. I'm sleeping in my silk nightgown because this is, dressing beautifully is about dressing beautifully for myself and how I feel even when I'm alone and no one else is seeing it. So I just think it is worthy of your consideration. And the other thing that I love about sleepwear is you wear it again and again so you don't need 25 options. You know, when you buy, let's say, a sweater for winter, maybe you feel like, well, I've, I've, I'm gonna, I don't want to wear the same sweater to work all the time, so I kind of need a lot of them. So either that's a bigger investment in your closet, uh, or you don't want to spend too much on one piece. So you can get something nice that you wear again and again, and without having spent much money, it really makes a big change in how you feel at home. Or you can invest a little bit more knowing I'm not having to buy a huge quantity of this. So I invested in a nicer silk uh, nightgown. I want to say it was like, is what I mean by nicer, but the ones before were maybe $25 from a thrift store. And I just wear it again and again, and then I hand wash it every once in a while. I have two. I rotate them. One is dark blue. One is light blue. My robe is white with dark and light blue flowers on it, so it feels like an outfit that goes together. So to me, that also feels chic. And I really feel that this could be something that inspires you to feel more beautiful for yourself. And ultimately, you are the one that we care most about. So I have loved spending this time with you today and I hope to spend more of it with you on Instagram until we meet back here next Wednesday. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday. 